You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is Stephanie. In this episode, we are discussing episode four of Orphan Black, the next chapter, which is entitled Bread and Pottages. We will discuss everything that happened in that episode, but there shouldn't be any spoilers for future episodes. And pandemic disclaimer, we are recording this in June of 2021. The COVID-19 pandemic is still a thing and we're still a mess. So if you're listening to this episode in the future, please forgive us. Also, if you're listening now. Which I guess would just be Stephanie. I'm sorry, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie's the only person listening live. I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, f- I forgive you, Chris. Thank you. So this episode title is a reference to, as we were saying in the previous episodes, the Octavia E. Butler book, Parable of the Sower. Uh, the entire quote in context is, freedom is dangerous, but it's precious too. You can't just throw it away or let it slip away. You can't sell it for bread and pottage. And that is not a word that a lot of people use these days, I think. So pottage is a type of stew, like a lentil stew. And that quote is probably likely a reference to the King James Bible translation of the story of Jacob and Esau. In the book of Genesis, Esau sold his birthright as the eldest son to his twin brother Jacob in exchange for a meal of, and this is a quote, bread and pottage of lentils. And that's Genesis chapter 25 verses 29 through 34. The titles of Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents come from the Bible. There are stories in the Bible, both called those. So most likely in this particular sentence, Octavia e. Butler was referencing this story from Genesis. Art played a big role in this episode. We saw him really falling back into his old role of protecting Clone Club from law enforcement. And I actually really enjoyed getting to hear his thought process of how he was deciding to respond to Jay and the best ways to not lie to her too much, but also not tell her too much. But it also felt just like Art seemed very tired. The feeling that things were kind of starting up again, he he came across as kind of weary to me in that particular scene. Gosh, me too, Art. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, you're right. There's just this whole, I don't know, I kept thinking about like later season art, (laughs) where like the poor guy is finally like, they finally told him what's going on. And he's just kind of doing his best, poor guy. (laughs) Good old protective art. We got quite a bit of information in his scenes with Jay as well. We see that they figured out there was a video loop going on at the lab before it exploded, which I assumed was maybe Vivi's doing. That does seem like the most likely suspect from what we know right now. But also, we don't actually know who blew up the lab. Right. So it could be whoever blew up the lab. Right. Because she definitely in this episode seems to demonstrate, and previously, that she has some technical savvy. She's got gadgets and things that help her do stuff. So possible she could have done the looping. But you're absolutely right. We still don't know who blew up the lab. We know it wasn't Vivi. And who stole the paper files, because that was another big, well, this is weird type of 
clue for Jay that's making her be so dogged about this investigation. At the security meeting in the previous episode, they're talking about a potential suspect, Solfter, who is a Quebecois separatist, being a likely suspect. And Jay is saying that, like, that's who her superiors really want her to pursue. But she just isn't buying it, partially because of these clues, such as who stole the paper files and why would they go after this particular organization? Does it seem like a very good target? Jay gives us, I think, a little bit more information about Softer than we had in the previous episode, because she mentioned specifically that he's a Nazguinig Quebecois separatist. And I don't remember them saying that before, or maybe it's just because I hadn't heard that word before. But now in this episode, I'm realizing, wait a minute, at Gene Keep, they were talking about they just got the genetic information from that community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It seems like the uh, the storylines might be connected somehow. <laughs> Maybe. Huh. Weird. <laughs> Storytelling 101, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm following along. Just wanted to wanted to put that out there. Show off. <laughs> <laughs> but I did a little little reading on Quebecois separatist movements, which apparently has been a thing since about the 1960s. So basically, it's it's just a significant percentage of the population in Quebec wishing to secede from Canada and be its own sovereign nation. Quebec is primarily francophone. They're French-speaking. There's a lot of people of French ancestry in that area. And so to preserve their culture, a lot of people have express the desire to politically separate themselves from Canada and become a sovereign nation. And so uh, Sauveterre is apparently part of that particular movement. So is Quebec the Texas of Canada? I was thinking that too, because in Texas, <laughs> they tell us like, as we grow up, like, you know, Texas could secede from the Union if it wanted. Like, that's written into the contract when we join the United States. Texans, this is not true. We cannot just decide, like, have a vote and secede from the Union. It's not that It's not that easy. But yes, I did think that too, Chris, as I was reading about this. I'm like, oh, they're like Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Texas, we've just got, we've got an attitude problem. <laughs> we, we, we really think we're really great, which we are. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> But I believe Texas is the only state that was a republic, like its own little government before it joined the United States. So we feel very proud of ourselves because of this. It's true. In case you've never met a Texan. <laughs> I mean, not not all Texans. Hashtag not all Texans. <laughs> Hashtag not all Texans. Hashtag most Texans. <laughs> so I was actually a little surprised that Jay brings up the fact that she knows Vivi's name in this interview with Art. I really was not, when she was kind of like listing these aliases we'd heard before, I really was not expecting Vivi to be part of that list. And I'm very curious how she got that name. Like she says that somebody from the CAA called kind of looking for her, but that seems suspicious, right? It does. It does seem a little suspicious. Or like, what a coincidence! Hmm. Because <laughs> at first I thought, are we supposed to think Arun called and did this? But why would he do that if she's supposed to be in Canada kind of secretly? 
it's not even really a fully sanctioned mission, it sounded like. Or at least it's it's a little off books in some kind of way. Why would he just call up the RCMP and be like, by the way, have you seen my secret operative? No? <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah, seems a little unlikely. But yes, I mean, this also fits right in with just traditional orphan black stuff, right? Because like, like side operations going on everywhere. Who can you trust? For sure. Absolutely. Especially since part of the whole thing was that they knew that there was this genetically targeted thing that was affecting families of CIA agents or whatever it was that Arun had told Vivi before. So, like, they had that information going on. Like, if he knew that, then, like, where did that information come from? Why are they investigating it? Etc. Maybe it is somebody else within the CIA who is after Vivi also. I don't know. Maybe not after her, but I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> but, but seems to be pulling her in in some way, right? Like getting her in trouble, maybe? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It, th there's definitely some entity out there that probably we don't know about yet, and I'm puzzled as to the end game of said entity. Right. Like, are they trying to make her a patsy for something since right. they've given her name to the RCMP? But yes, all a little fishy. And speaking of Vivi, we had kind of a clone swap in this episode. I feel like it was more just a clone misidentification than a true swap. But we have Vivi and Bailey Downs breaking into Allison's house and joining the the clone call. There's been several times in these episodes where I'm wondering if they're purposefully recalling things from the series, or sometimes I think it's just in my head. But this time, I really did feel like they were recalling something from the original series, because we have Vivi being approached by a blonde woman with a German shepherd as she's trying to walk into Allison's house. I'm like, this is Ainsley walking up in season one to Felix in the car, right? Like, this mm -hmm. is that's what that's mm -hmm. referencing, right? I did have a moan of like, Ainsley? But then, right? Wait, it can't be Ainsley. It can't be. <laughs> I was curious who it was. I guess there was another blonde lady in the first season whose name I cannot remember, who was one of Allison's friends at Bailey Downs. So maybe it's supposed to be her. But I, too, was like, oh, it's Ainsley. No, wait, it can't be Ainsley. Ainsley's dead. Poor Ainsley. R.I.P. Ainsley. But yes, back to the greater concept of Vivi doing clone swaps. Because, like, really, it is more like... Just accidentally getting misidentified all the time is really... Vivi just kind of keeps stumbling into it. Because <laughs> she's trailing the others, and then people are just, like, misidentifying her, and then she's just rolling with it. <laughs> That's true, because she wasn't intentionally trying to be Kasima Niehaus when she broke into the lab. Mm -hmm. That's just, mm -hmm. she let Sturgis think she was Kasima for a while. So that's a good point. She has yet to purposefully impersonate one of the clones yet. It's interesting that nobody recognizes the fact that she's nine years younger than the rest of them, right? <laughs> like, does everybody need glasses? What's going on? Because <laughs> this didn't seem like to be particularly dark, because maybe if it's late, you know, you got the street lighting. But it sounded like Donnie was taking the kids to dinner, so not necessarily, you know, midnights and it's dark out. Another part of the Vivi scenes in this episode that kind of reminded me of the original series, this one is a little less direct but when they 
are discussing how Vivi's getting that like last stray piece of glass out of the wound in her leg. First of all, <laughs> second of all, <laughs> it reminded me of when Sarah was trying to patch up her leg after Rachel shot her. Or maybe Rachel stabbed her. I can't remember which weapon Rachel used. I need to rewatch season five and four. And she, you know, she ends up like using a tampon that she found in her pocket trying to patch up her leg. I don't know that that was necessarily a direct reference, but it did remind me of that. And now I'm having flashes of, uh, oh, Tomas, like pulling debris out of Helena, too. Oh, poor Helena. All the clones just need to need to find a safe space. <laughs> I want to wrap them all in bubble wrap. I was going to say, in a big bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Vivi then, after she patches herself up, she takes some painkillers and... She chews the Vicodin, which I know that is a thing that people do to try to get the meds to work more quickly, to like go ahead and break them up in their mouth rather than letting them digest in their stomach. And so that did make me wonder, though, if from that, if we're supposed to read into like maybe she might have had a painkiller problem or could have a painkiller problem like Beth and Allison, but it might just also be a habit from previous field injuries. Yeah, I mean... Either is possible, of course, but it is one of those things like, I'd imagine being a CIA field agent, injuries would not be uncommon, so. Her main vice seems to be the gummy bears, chewing the gummy bears' heads off. Mm -hmm. So more of a Helena than an Alice. (laughs) (laughs) I did think it was interesting that because she took those Vicodin, we then got that serious scrutiny of her as Allison by Allison's random neighbor, who's like, oh, Allison, are you high? And and that did make me wonder, like, okay, is is this just Bailey Downs still keeping Allison under a microscope because of problems that she's had in the past? Or or should we read into it that maybe she's had some, maybe some relapses in the intervening time? But, you know, when, when Vivi goes through the house, it seems like Allison is kind of in a similar place she was at at the end of the series with like her drum kit and her homebrew kombucha. Yeah, I don't know. I was operating under the assumption that it was just like the long memory of the suburbs right, (laughs) or something. But then it was like, well, it has been 10 years, which seems like it's been, you know, long enough that maybe that wouldn't still be going on. But who knows? Because it did seem to be quite the scandal when it happened. And I suppose Allison's drug dealing was uh, pretty widespread, (laughs) I guess. Well-known. She was dealing to all the people in the suburbs, so probably everybody kind of would know that it was happening. One of those open secret kind of things. When Vivi was being nosy in the Hendrix's house, I I did kind of have like an aww moment when she found the picture of clone club in i think it was in allison's bedroom mm-hmm. it's like oh that's so nice and there's even some comment in there from vivi about like how clear it was that they were you know family and kept in close contact and all that sort of thing it was very heartwarming to me me too but then i felt sad for her because at this point she is sort of thinking that these women are maybe these imaginary vivies from her past and they've went off and were living their lives without her. We did get a clone call in this episode with everybody 
on, I guess not Skype anymore. It was Hush or something like that. I don't think that's a real. I think that is what app. they said it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've, they've upped their security measures, which is probably smart. Yeah. I was actually pondering this the other day. Like, when was the last time you've really heard anything about Skype? Yeah. Skype definitely doesn't seem to have quite the presence it did once pandemic hit. Everybody was on Zoom which kind of was a surprise to me. I, I figured people would maybe use Skype, but... Technology. <laughs> I just Googled. Skype is still a thing. I Because I, I also wondered, like, oh, maybe Microsoft killed it and turned it into some other program. But I, Skype still has a website. Okay. I was actually kind of wondering about that, just because it has been so long since it feels like people, like, talked about it that much. Because it's all, like, Microsoft Teams and whatever now. As well as the Zoom. Anyway, but yes, along with this taking place, again, slightly in the future, it makes sense that they just, like, make up something. <laughs> I assume they're making it up. It could be a thing I've never heard of. <laughs> I, ju I just Googled it. I don't see it. <laughs> I heard you typing it. I'm like, Stephanie's looking it up right now. <laughs> well, because I know, oh, I'm thinking of Whisper. There's a secure, but I think it's a, just a messaging app. And I was trying to think, is that called Hush? But no, I think it's called Whisper. Anyway. Gotcha, gotcha. So the clone call, they were mostly just kind of catching each other up with what had happened in our each little individual storylines. But Delphine did mention that they were going to expand that increased security to the land borders. So obviously that puts like a time clock on Allison and Charlotte trying to get back over the the border to Canada before the heightened security is there. And I, I thought there was a comment that Delphine made, which I felt very acutely from living in pre 9-11 to post 9-11, where she talks about how once that advanced security is at the borders, it's going to be difficult to get them to remove it. And she says it's difficult to reel these security measures back. Human rights be damned. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you wouldn't think about that. I mean, if you're a person who lives in the United States of America, I don't know how you wouldn't think about that when they're talking about that in this episode. And the other thing that emerged from the clone call that I thought was interesting was this clear tension around going public between the older clones and Charlotte. It seemed like maybe Cosima was kind of, kind of saw her point in the previous episode where this idea came up, but from Charlotte's perspective, it clearly seems to be like, the older clones are united in their opinion, and she's sort of over here by herself thinking something different. That's one of those things, too, where it's like, I see both of your points of view, and uh, you're both you're both valid. <laughs> I did really enjoy the pairing of Charlotte and embarrassing Aunt Allison. I thought Charlotte made a great, like, straight person to Allison's ridiculous behavior. It's very true. <laughs> Poor Charlotte's just sort of like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> and Allison's over here fluttering her eyelashes at the, the Border Patrol agent. Uh, Allison is, is very much uh, what the kids call extra. <laughs> and I, I love the when they were on the call and, and Allison was messaging who she thought was Donnie saying like, you know, why aren't you? Why don't you have the camera on? Oh, I'm not decent. Ooh, send me a photo. <laughs> So poor Charlotte. <laughs> <sighs> Charlotte does, in a lot of 
points so far feel very much like a like an audience surrogate. <laughs> and it also kind of feels like the dynamic between the two of them is, you know, Allison's ostensibly there to escort her because Charlotte's kind of young, but Charlotte often feels more like the adult in several of these instances than Allison does. It's true. Oh, oh, Allison, I've missed you. <laughs> and I also feel like it's been really sweet to hear how fond Charlotte is of art. In this episode, she talks about how, you know, Kira doesn't really like Sarah being overprotective, but she doesn't mind art being protective because he just wants her to know she is safe and she doesn't want him to worry and she feels bad for lying. It just gave me a lot of feelings, Chris. And once again, we're back to, like, Charlotte's just, like, the mature person in the room. It feels like. It's like a very mature perspective, Charlotte. Because you're right. Art just cares a lot. Though once they get to the hospital, I think Charlotte does demonstrate how very thoroughly she is such a Lita clone <laughs> with how she handles that entire situation. <laughs> it's true. As I'm saying, she, Charlotte's so mature. And then I'm saying about it. Then they get to the hospital and makes a, she makes so many bad decisions <laughs> in the hospital for a good reason. I understand. But also, no, Charlotte, no. <laughs> Because it's not the clone disease, Chris. It's not the clone disease, which I kind of saw coming, I think. Yes. It's one of those things I 100% understand why they would think that it was the clone disease. Yes, absolutely. But also because it's a story. <laughs> and again, storytelling 101, it's like, it's probably not going to be the clone disease because they already have a solution for that. <laughs> Or it, it, it at least is going to be more complicated, right? Exactly. Like, oh, it's the clone disease, but this one, it does, you know, their inoculation doesn't work for it. It had to be more complicated than just the clone disease. Mm hmm But why did you take the gloves off, Charlotte? Why did you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Again, Stephanie and I work in a lab. <laughs> there are hazardous things in the lab. Don't do it. Don't take off your protective gear. Don't take off your PPE. I know it can be a little clunky, but you just had to unzip a pouch and pull out a syringe. I type with gloves on. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's like, what What kind of gloves does she have on? Because come on. It should have just been some like nitro gloves. They're, maybe she had the wrong size. Maybe they only had like extra large outside the door and they were like clown gloves on her. I will give her that out because I've had to do that before where I just had ridiculously large gloves They're on. They're awkward. But. They're so awkward. But again... Safety first. I did enjoy her thought process when she was looking at the little the little chart about, you know, how to enter the room is like, first speak to a security guard. Well, she'd kind of done that. <laughs> Again, such a Lita clone. <laughs> she didn't follow the rest of the instructions, which is actually very realistic. I had to take some basic kind of first aid type classes couple of years ago and, and they do put those types of instructions outside of doors where there's extra PPE required to enter them so I thought that was a nice touch so speaking of breaking the rules Kira in her in her good girl way is breaking the rules and feeling so alive as she takes a cup of coffee into the lab <laughs> no it's not should, I mean Thank you for acknowledging that you shouldn't be doing it, Kira, but don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those, there's a good reason that rule exists. <laughs> People listening to this are just like, 
these ladies who work in this lab. <laughs> They're harping on this too much. <laughs> we are rules followers. Both Chris and I are big rule followers, so we can't help it. It's very true. <laughs> Which is why we're good employees to work in labs, because we follow the rules. But also, I would have gotten Kira in trouble had I seen her. <laughs> I did that once. I forgot about it because it was at a time when I didn't work in the lab. I worked in an office area, but I had to sit in the lab for doing something. And I just like brought in a protein shake or something like that. And someone's like, Stephanie, we can't drink in here. This lab is filthy. (laughs) Like, oh, sorry. (laughs) Right. Shame on you, Stephanie. (laughs) I know. I didn't. I wasn't purposely breaking the rules. I legit just forgot. No, I know. But Kira had a very big running theme of Orphan Black type of thought process as she was breaking the rules and feeling alive. She was because she had a a thought where she said, maybe she's making a mistake, but it's her choice to make about sequencing her genome and trying to like learn more about her past. I'm like, oh, Kira, I understand. Take the coffee out of the lab, dear. But I still understand. (laughs) That's for your own safety. (laughs) I should probably be more judgmental of her like using lab materials when she doesn't have permission to but that i actually am okay with (laughs) it's the coffee that's crossing the line (laughs) we are 100 on the same page here (laughs) priorities (laughs) i did appreciate kira was talking about or thinking about the difference between the sequencer that she's using at gene keep and the mobile DNA processing units that they're using at the airports. We kind of talked a little bit about this in our previous episode about rapid DNA testing and sort of the whether that was currently feasible. And in this episode, she's she's talking about like flow cells. I'm like, okay, I know what that is. We use those at the lab. This is a much more thorough sequencing procedure that they're doing at GeneKeep, which makes sense because they're really trying to investigate what makes up specific populations' genomes. But at the airport, she doesn't say this specifically, but typically for law enforcement, they are doing something called SDR analysis. I'm going to try to attempt to explain science again, Chris. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Please do. Okay. (laughs) So law enforcement typically uses what's called STR analysis. STR short for short tandem repeat. So our DNA is made up of two basic parts to it. You have your exons and your introns. Your exons are the parts of your DNA that actually code legitimate information. That information is used by our body to produce proteins. The intron part of your DNA, that is basically, it's not junk DNA, but it doesn't code for proteins the way that our exons do. In the introns of our DNA, there's a lot more variability than there is in the actual exon part of our DNA. And a phenomenon that researchers have found in our introns are short tandem repeats. And so this is basically where you have several repeats in the row of the same combination of nucleotides. They're usually about three nucleotides long, but they can be as long as about seven. So for example, you can have a short tandem repeat of AGG, and it would just be like AGG, 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 like all in a row. So what law enforcement does is they use the location of those known places in our introns where we tend to have short tandem repeats, and they measure how long they are in a DNA sample. For in the United States, we look at 13 
different loci for those STRs. I believe in the UK, they look at 17. And basically, when they get a DNA sample, they look at those 13 places or those 17 places, and they count how long your short tandem repeat is. And then they compare it to a sample that they're trying to match it to, to see if in that same loci is the length of the short tandem repeat the same. That's a very different process than what they're doing here at GeneKeep, where they're they're looking at the genome more as a whole, rather than trying to look at particular spots to see how long these short tandem repeats might be in order to match them to a particular DNA sample. Neat. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> that was an attempt. I should say, because our STR, the length of those short tandem repeats, it differs from person to person, where... At one loci, like my short tan repeats, I might have seven, but look, if you look at Chris's DNA, she might have 14. So if they were trying to like match up our, our DNAs to each other, they could see, oh, at loci one, the length of her STR is different than the length of this other person's. So that's often also why when we talk about sort of DNA matching when it comes to the criminal justice system, they can only say it is you know, there's a one in a quadrillion chance that these belong to two different people. They can only sort of measure it to a particular degree rather than saying this is definitely the same DNA at the crime scene as we found on this person. It's basically an it's an imperfect match kind of a thing. It's definitely a there's a very good chance that because these are these have the same number of repeats at the 13 places, it's a very good chance that this DNA belongs to this person here. But I can't say for certain. So Stephanie attempted to explain some science. I need a theme song. (laughs) (laughs) We should. We should have like a a segment. Stephanie's science corner or something. (laughs) Stephanie's science explaining. (laughs) I, I like the alliteration on that. That's a good one. So as Kira is trying to do some sequencing of her own genome, she notices this late night download of all of this information. Clearly super concerning. Who is exploiting GeneKeep's databases? This I'm very worried about that. As you should be. <laughs> also, Kira's clearly got a crush on Emmeline and it's very cute. It's true. Before we were like, it seems, it seems like that's what's happening, but no, confirmation. <laughs> I should have known, too. I was looking at some pictures from the finale. And Kira, she she wears a lot of hats in the finale. I'm like, aha, foreshadowing. <laughs> Is that some sort of requirement? Did I, I, I did not know about this. <laughs> no. Okay. I'm not trying to say that all queer people wear hats or particular type of hats. <laughs> I'm just saying that particular type of hats, there's a high correlation between particular types of hats and queer people. There's one, there's one like straw one that she wears with a brim. It's very similar in shape to one that Natasha Negavanlis, who played Carmilla on Carmilla, wears. I'm like, mm, should have known. Should have known. <laughs> oh, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. People listening, don't get mad at me. I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't wear hats. I can't wear hats. I have a weird shape head. I'm not a good queer hat wise. <laughs> but you do have your, your one specific hat. <laughs> Oh, I do have... You're right. I do have a hat. I have one hat that looks good on me. Just one. I think we've covered all the things, including hats. (laughs) So if you have any thoughts about this episode or any other episode, you can email us at feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. Also, thank you to Dave from New Zealand, who sent us a very nice email recently. We appreciate that, Dave. 
We are also on Twitter, and you can find us at TIE Podcast. Tatiana is Everyone is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. To find our other podcasts about Lost Girl and Killjoys, visit our website, askgenretv.com. And in this episode, the 13 Low Sigh were played by Tatiana Maslani. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.